The Parent-Teacher Conference Podcast is sponsored by FanSchool. Parents, are you finding it difficult to see your child's work since it's all digital? Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. It was a Friday morning in summer, just a few weeks ago. And since school was just around the corner, I went to my favorite coffee shop, opened up my computer, got a cup of coffee, and started to begin doing some schoolwork and planning. As I was finishing up my last sentence and closing down my computer, gulping down that last sip of coffee, I thought I heard my name. Now, I don't have a very common name like John or Michael. It's Kevin. So I always assume when I hear somebody call out Kevin, it's going to be for me. And when I looked up, sitting across from me was my superintendent. We both got up out of our chairs, walked to each other. She gave me a hug and she asked me how my summer was going. And I looked at her and I said, I'm really mad at you right now. She was a bit confused and asked why. And I said, I opened up my email the other day. You sent one that says I have to go back to school in two weeks. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is your host, Coach Cullen. If you've never listened to an episode, what we try to do here is talk about issues and ideas from both a parent and a teacher perspective. The goal for most teachers and most parents are to do what is best for the child. It is not some agenda. Are there some out there that are working to an agenda? Absolutely. Nothing in life is perfect, but what we do here is talk about ways we can work together, how we can see things from both perspectives. I am both a parent of two daughters and a teacher for 30 years. So I try to bring both those perspectives to the table. If you found this on Twitter, I would love for you to retweet it and get your friends listening. Found it on Facebook, share it out. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts for a future podcast, even if you'd like to be interviewed, if you are a parent or a teacher who likes what's going on here, says, hey, I have a topic I'd love to talk about, let me know. Really, just email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Now, the story I began with is true. The reason I knew I could get away with it is that I 
know my superintendent and I know my superintendent knows me. After I said that and after her laughing um, calmed down because she realized it was just a joke, she asked me how my kids were doing. We talked about her children. It's one of the nice things of working in a small district. My superintendent knows me and I know my superintendent. Now we're not best friends, but obviously we can carry a conversation with each other for a few minutes in a coffee shop because we know enough of each other to do that. And not just to talk about school, but to talk about family as well. In larger districts, you probably, some teachers probably have never really met their superintendent other than maybe a passing hello or a handshake. But that's not where I'm at. I really like smaller situations. I think it has a lot to teach us about how we can go about running a school as well is you want people as close as possible to your child to know what they're like rather than making decisions from a far off castle far far away where they are the leaders and they really don't know what's going on among the peasants down below see i don't feel that way with my superintendent i don't feel like um, just a little peon. She values me. I can tell by her approach, not just to me, but to other teachers as well. The other day, I went to work on my classroom a little bit before school started, and our director of curriculum wandered into the classroom. And we talked a little bit about school, because he's been listening to the podcast episodes, and he, we were talking about, I had I have done run recently on that first teacher professional development day, and he shared some of his thoughts, some of the things he liked, some of the things he would question. It was a great conversation, but it wasn't only about school. I asked him questions about his son is a baseball player, and I love baseball. So he has a son that's a baseball player that started varsity his sophomore year. That's really awesome. And But he has a daughter in softball who's off the charts. She's a young girl. He's, he had the opportunity to coach her this year, too. So... We talked a lot about sports and how our kids were doing the sports, my own daughters, um, with soccer. And we just talked because he knows me and I know him. Just yesterday, my principal walked into my classroom while I was working, getting it ready. We must have talked for a good 15 minutes, about not about school, about our kids with sports. We were talking about philosophy of sports for young children. We had we both had some serious concerns about it. And really, one of the reasons why I can have these conversations with members of the administration is because we're a small district. We have three schools. This is a guess. So if you're listening from the school district I work at, I'm probably going to be wrong, but K through eight, less than a thousand students. But there's a benefit to that. And one of the benefits is the teachers feel like they will be heard. Not that what we say will be followed. And that, that's a big difference because you can't go into it thinking that, hey, I have this great idea, the administration, oh, they don't agree with me, oh, they're a bunch of jerks. You, you can't go in with that. You need to plead your case. Remember, this, the administration, the superintendent, the principal, they have to make their decisions They'll take in what you say, but they also have to consider parents, the budget. I mean, there's so many moving parts they need to consider. But in a small district, you know you will be heard. And there's a huge 
benefit to that as a teacher. I believe there's also a huge benefit to that as a parent as well. If you live in a large district and you're a parent or a teacher, you need to be skeptical if they keep on putting layer and layer of administration between you and the kids and the superintendent. We can't have superintendents or those people making the decisions for our children or our students being in an ivory tower with the layers of administrators between you and them acting as guards on the castle walls. I know this is going to be difficult for larger districts, but there needs to be a way of communication that reaches into the classroom and into the homes. One of the reasons for those explosive Board of Education meetings that we saw around the country between parents and the boards was because I believe the Board of Education's lost touch with their constituents. Now, were there some members of the Board of Education, some superintendents who had an agenda? Of course, I always say, of course. But I don't believe they were in the majority. I think a lot of these people were probably like, well, this is where education is going. We want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be left behind. So we're going to focus on this curriculum that is heavy on identity, or we're going to pass through this sex ed curriculum. I mean, these are the curriculums that everybody else is doing. This is what we hear when we're talking with other board members, other superintendents. I personally believe there were members of those boards that were like, what kind of Pandora's box did we just open by voting on this thing? I don't believe they thought about what the backlash would be. And one of the reasons are they were disconnected from the thoughts of their constituents. And again, sometimes this disconnect is by design. I know if I'm in leadership, I don't want to have to deal with the complaints. They're a drag. I want to implement stuff to improve things for the students that come into my school. I get it, but complaints are part of the job. My mom had a job with a camera company years ago. She was the secretary to the head of the complaint department. And you know what the head of the complaint department did a lot? He made her take the complaints. That wasn't her job. Her job was to answer the phone for him, type up memos and things that had to be get, get out. But all of a sudden, she became the head of the complaint department. And it, it wore on her. I remember her, you know... She would talk about getting phone calls and being in tears when it's real because people are yelling at her. And she has no, she's a secretary. She had no power to do anything. I think superintendents do need to have a sense of the buck stops here attitude. But parents, if you do have a complaint, I think you need to go through the proper channels. If it's happening in the classroom, you go to the teacher first. If you can't settle it with the teacher, then to the principal, building principal, then to the superintendent. I think it has to go up the chain of command. I know in the last few years, we had an issue with one of my daughters that we went to the superintendent. Then we didn't go to him first. We went up the chain of command. 
and we weren't getting satisfactory answers. Now, going back to the some superintendents want those layers because they don't want to deal with the riffraff be below them, the teachers or the parents who can just get in the way and bog down their day. How do I know that's true? Well, a good buddy of mine is an administrator. And when he was taking classes to get his administrator's license, he had a local superintendent leading one of the classes. And that superintendent, it was a pretty large district, that superintendent flat out said, I don't talk to teachers. Let me repeat that. A superintendent said, I don't talk to teachers. What his point was is that there is a chain of command. There is a building principle. That is their job to do. But my friend, who's a very people-oriented guy, was a little troubled by that. He's like, but I want to get to know my teachers. I want to get to know as many. I mean, he, my, my buddy understood that if he was in a large district and he was a superintendent, it would be difficult to know all the teachers, but it wouldn't mean he wouldn't try. And he felt this guy was basically saying, you don't want to deal with them. There are other people you've hired to deal with the teachers. That's not on you. My superintendent, who I work for, would definitely not be a proponent of the superintendent that was running my buddy's administrator's class. She does take the time to know the people who work under her. And I think the successes of our district is because the teachers know it. We realize we are valued enough by our superintendent, not just to know our names, but to know a little bit about our families and even being comfortable enough to laugh when a teacher busts on them for their welcome back to school email. So what can we do to establish lines of communications from the classroom to the higher ups and from the homes to the higher ups, even for a large district? I think a parent roundtable for each school would be a great start. Allow parents the time to share some of their thoughts with the school and act on them. And I don't mean like act on everyone. You can't. But I would say during these parent roundtables, compliment parents. Like if you're a principal running a roundtable and Mrs. Jones suggested the school needed to buy some more playground balls because her kids are coming home complaining that the, the leather are ripping apart off the soccer balls. And after you've bought the new playground balls at the next principal roundtable, give a shout out to Mrs. Jones. Hey, you know, our last meeting, Mrs. Jones let me know of the problems during recess with the playground balls. I want you to know, Mrs. Jones, thank you for that suggestion. We went out and bought some more. I mean, it's great PR to say, hey, we're listening. We're listening to you. Again, you can't do it with everything, but when you can, do it. If you're a superintendent, how about a superintendent rounds table with your teachers? Now, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. I think a superintendent should go to each school throughout the year and say, you know, be like Ed Koch, the former mayor of New York City in the 1980s, right? The, his famous line, he'd walk around New York City and say, hey, how am I doing? How am I doing? 
I think that's a wonderful thing for superintendents. That guy who told my buddy, don't talk to the teachers, I think what he should have done is listen to the teachers. What are they saying? Value their opinions. They can tell you what you and the board and your administration, the decisions you're making, the teachers can tell you how they are impacting the classroom, how they are impacting individual students. Take time to listen to the teachers. They're your front line. They know what's going on. You know, and that gets into whole micromanaging. Don't micromanage teachers. Trust them as professionals. Correct them when they're wrong, but you hire them for a purpose because you trust that they will do the job of engaging your town's kids in the classroom. My middle school history teacher, Mr. Bernoski, one of the main reasons why I'm a history teacher today, he would often tell us about the difference between the American Army and the Army of the Soviet Union. He would say, you know, the problem with the Soviet Union is the lower level officers never knew the whole battle plan. They were always so afraid that information could be used against them. And they always were suppressing information. They wouldn't give it out. They only give the leaders just enough to know what they had to do next. But because of that, those soldiers never had initiative to take a risk, to take a chance that may have been beneficial for the army. And he said, in the American model, the lower-ranking officers knew what was going on, and they were encouraged to make battlefield decisions that may change the plan a little bit based on what they saw. And the American model was more efficient because of that. I believe more administrators need that attitude. Allow your teachers to do what's best for the students in their class. They see what's going on in the battlefield. And listen to them when they say, hey, this directive you told me I had to do, it isn't working. Again, they need to tell you why. They need to have back it up with facts. They can't just be because it's too much work. That, that's not the answer. But if they can back it up with facts, listen to them. I remember a friend of mine was on an interviewing committee for a principal's job. And this one candidate came in with all these ideas of how she was going to change how the school ran. She had binders full of information of how she was going to improve the school. There was one big problem. That was her first day ever stepping in the school. How would she know what the school needed to change? She was basing it all on her. It was all about her, my ideas, what works, how I see it. That's not how a school should operate. It should be a collaborative. You know, we always talk about collaboration. You can't have somebody coming in with, I have a game plan and I'm going to force it on my players. They always say one of the great things about the coach, the Dolphins coach, Don Shula. He went from a run first offense because it made sense. When he was in the 70s, he had a Hall of Fame running back named Larry Zonka. He had this guy, Jim Kick and Mercury Morris, three of the top running backs in the National Football League. So his offense was structured around running. Then in the 80s, the Dolphins drafted one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Dan Marino. 
And guess what the Dolphins became? A passing team. He built his team around the players he had. Where this candidate was going to say, I am going to force the players of this school, the teachers, to run my game plan. Because I know it will work without ever stepping into school. Thankfully, I've never worked with an administrator who has been like that. They've all taken the time to understand the school. And not just the teachers, the community, the parents. It, they were all stakeholders in this. Teachers, parents, taxpayers who don't have kids in the school. We are all stakeholders who have opinions. How it, are the administrators, how are the Board of Educations creating opportunities for these opinions to be heard and then making decisions that are best for the students of that town. And we need to remember that we all are going to have different opinions. There has to be compromise. It's not it's a public school. It's not a school of the political right or the political left. You're, you have both. You have people, religious kids, you have atheistic kids both. You're not going to get totally your view of how things should be run. And you have to come in with that concept. I mean, that is why, you know, why is the United States a federal system? Because when the framers of the Constitution were creating it, they felt the closer government is to the people, the more they're going to need to be responsive to the people. That's why I like working in a small district. The administration is very responsive to teachers' thoughts and parents' thoughts. And I need to be honest, I don't want national mandates coming down to the schools, being tagged on other bills. That's the only way a federal, you know, because you know that, right? States control education. If there's a federal mandate, what they do to get the states to adopt it is they tie it to money. That was like the whole no child left behind thing back in the early 2000s. If you want, there was federal money to be given. And if the state wanted that money, they had to okay the dictates of no child left behind. The states run educations within their own boundaries because education is not listed in the Constitution. And the great thing about federalism is, if you don't like the direction a state is going, you can leave the state. I mean, obviously you can voice your opinion, you have freedom of speech, you can make your opinion known, but if it's getting nowhere and the majority of people in that state want education and curriculum going in one direction and you don't like it, you can always leave the state. That was the whole concept. And I would say that should even probably go down to the local level. If you don't like where a town is going with its curriculum, go to another town. Like they always say, that's voting with your feet. You know, there's this concept called the laboratories of democracy, where since things are run at the local level, down to the state, down to the county, down to the towns, since they each have jurisdiction over different areas of our lives, we, as the voter, can see what other states are doing, what other towns are doing. And we can say, we don't like that. 
or we like that. If we like, if we, we can vote it in or out. And if we, it doesn't go our way, we can always leave and go to the town where it is going our way or to the state it's going our way. Oh, sorry. That, that's the history teacher in me. I just gave you a little talk about federalism. So hope you, there's a little bonus for you on this episode. And for teachers, how are you making connections to your students' homes? You know, what I do every week is I push out a video and it tells parents, here are the topics we'll be discussing in class this week. Here are the assignments that are due. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email me. Hey, do you want to see what's going on in class? I try to post things on Twitter or on Facebook. Here is where you can find me. Also, there is a line of communications. Parents don't feel like they don't know what's going on, like it's prison walls of my classroom and they can't see in. Now they get a little view of what's going on and they can interact with me. You know what the best way to end all this fighting that we're seeing at the board meetings throughout the country is to open lines of communications discuss things with each other. And what happens is it's hard to paint someone as a demon, as espousing pure evil when you get to know them a little bit. So my best advice for connecting the disconnect, get to know your staff, get to know your colleagues, Get to know your parents. Get to know your neighbors. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers. They can be parents. They can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students. A good parent love those students, their children, deeply. <laughs>